You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Well, hello, Rev Church. Is everybody out there? Happy New Year's Eve. Happy New Year's Eve. It's hard to believe that 2023 is coming to a close. My goodness, what a year. What a year. If you're new to Rev, find somebody that's been coming here for a while and let them explain the story of how we got here. God truly moved some mountains and did some miraculous things for all this to come about in 10 months. It's crazy to think about. I still can't wrap my mind around that. But he did it, and only he can do that. My name's Jeff. If we haven't met, I'm the men's director here at Revolution Church. And who I am in a nutshell, I'm a 30-year UPS driver that moved with his wife to Tennessee to retire. My plans were to watch Prices Right in the morning, take a nice long nap, and watch Jeopardy at night. But God had other plans, and I'm okay with that because there's no sweeter spot to be in your life than walking in the calling that God's called you to. If you're not there, if you've not experienced that, I encourage you, find out what God wants you to do, because it's an amazing thing. I want to thank Pastor Josh for allowing me to be on the platform this morning. I don't take that lightly. Uh, believe me, I'm not trying to fill his shoes. He's one of the best communicators I've ever heard in my life. Amen? Don't ever take it for granted that we have an awesome pastor. He is totally sold out to the vision that God gave him for Revolution Church, and he puts his heart and soul into everything that he does here at this church. So never take that for granted. We're blessed with him. Well, I wanted to tell you a story about a book that I got about 18 months ago. I had wanted this book because I heard it's an amazing book. And I put it on my Amazon wish list and finally got it about 18 months ago. But I wanted to read this book differently than I've read other books in my lifetime. And the way I do this book is I get it out once a week. I open it to a random page. And I put my finger down in a random spot on that random page, and I read that part of the story. And I got to tell you, I'm kind of confused, because I don't know if I really understand the gist of the book. I don't know if I've been introduced to all the characters. I don't know if I know the storyline even. And I see some of you looking at me like I'm quite a few fries short of a Happy Meal. Let me let you off the hook. That's not a true story. Okay, I read the book cover to cover, but we meet once a week, and we open the book, and we don't open it up to a random page and put our finger on a random spot on that page and preach that. 90 to 95% of the time, we go through entire books of the Bible, verse by verse, or large chunks of Scripture. And the reason we do that, it's so we can understand the who, what, why, where, when, and how of the story. Instead of just pulling scriptures out and preaching on that. And right now we're in the middle of the book of Ephesians, about more than halfway through. And I love how this book was written. It was written to the church of Ephesus. And if you don't know, originally when it was written, it was a letter that just continuously flowed. It wasn't broken into chapter and verse when Paul wrote this. In 1205 AD, they took this part of the scripture and they divided it into chapter and verse so that we could study it easier. Does that make sense? 
So the, I love how Ephesians is written. They divided it into six chapters, and the first three chapters are really about how we are blessed by God. What are our benefits from being a child of God? And as he's writing to this church at Ephesus, I want you to understand the city of Ephesus at the time, it's in what would be today modern-day Turkey, okay? And it was a city of about 250,000 people. So you can get perspective on that. 250,000 people is all of Knoxville and every resident of Cumberland County put into one city. Uh, I do have a picture of the city of Ephesus in Paul's time. There it is. That's what the city looked like in Paul's time. And we know this wasn't taken from an airplane because airplanes weren't invented yet. So obviously we know this is a drone shot, okay? I'm glad to hear you laugh because that's one of the best ones I have today, okay? Um, but that's what the city of Ephesus looked like, okay? And Paul's writing to this church that's in the middle of all these people. And the first three chapters, like I said, is like our benefits package of being a child of God. He tells us what it means to be a son or a daughter of the living God. And in the last three chapters, chapter four through six, he tells us how to live out this new life. If I had to put it in modern day terms, I would say it's like our action plan. So the first three chapters, the benefits package, the last three chapters is the action plan plan, if that makes sense. And Paul, when he starts in chapter four, he starts using this term. It's a word that we can all relate to. And the word is walk, walk. We can all relate to that. If you've had kids, there's things that babies do a first time, like the first word a baby might speak, or the first time they eat real food, or the first time they use the potty. Uh, one of the biggies is the first time they take a step. We want to be there. We want to experience that because it's a milestone in a baby's life, that first step. And it's a nightmare for the parents because it's time to childproof the house because they're mobile. And if you have kids or grandkids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And Paul's planting all these churches in this area of the world and these are like his babies, these churches. They're new Christians. And he's telling them how to walk. And in chapter 5, last two weeks ago now, Pastor opened up this package and started talking about one of three ways that we're told to walk. And the first one that he told us is to walk in love. In chapter, chapter 5, verse 2, he says, walk in love as Christ loved us. So the first walk is walk in love. Everybody say walk in love. I know it says something different on the screen earlier, but walk in love. Everybody say that, walk in love. That was probably about half what y'all have. Let me hear it one more time, walk in love. Okay, so the first walk we have is to walk in love. And I like that Paul didn't tell him run in love. I'm not a runner. Okay, used to be, not so much anymore. And I'm giving you some free advice this morning. If you're ever standing somewhere and I run by you, do not take time to ask questions, okay? 
Because in my mind, I'm thinking, if I can outrun you, whatever's chasing me is going to get to you first, and I'm going to be safe. So don't ask questions. But Paul uses this term that we can all relate to, walk in love. And I'm going to pick up right where Pastor left off last week. He went through uh, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to pick up on verse 7. And it's kind of a strange standalone verse, but I want to cover it because we're covering everything in this chapter. Verse 7 says, therefore, do not become partners with them. And one thing I've learned about the Bible, when there's a therefore, you need to take the time to figure out what it's there for. Okay, because he's wanting us to remember something that we've previously read. So we have to go back a verse. And in verse 6, it says, Because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. So we still don't really know what those things are. Going back to verse 5, he's talking about sexual immorality and idolatry. Okay, so it's because of sexual immorality and idolatry that the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience, and that's not us. If you're a believer, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are no longer a son of disobedience, okay? He's not talking about the wrath of God coming on us. Now, we might still struggle with sexual immorality and idolatry, but we're not walking in that lifestyle, if that makes sense. But it's because of those things that the wrath of God is coming And he says, don't be partners with them. In the message version, it says, don't even hang around people like this. And I've had people come to me that have been recently saved, and they're like, I can't just walk away from my friends. What would they think of me? How would I portray being a Christian if I walk away from my friends? Listen. You walking away from that lifestyle speaks more volume to them than you hanging with them and trying to change them. They will come to you when they're ready. So don't hang around people like that. In 1 Corinthians 15.33, this verse says, Bad company corrupts good character. We become what we hang around. If you hang around bad, your character's going to be bad. There's a couple at the church here, Jeremy and Jenny Ricks, have a gym over by Food City that's called The Hangout. I am not a fitness fanatic, okay? Uh, But for a stomach virus, I would have gained six more pounds through the holidays. But God was gracious and gave me some space to expand. But I'm not a fitness fanatic, okay? Not saying that Jeremy and Jenny are, but if you go hang around at their gym called Hangout, it won't take long before you you will realize that it would benefit you to be like them, to be fit, to care about what you eat, to watch how you let your body build itself up to be strong. On the flip side of that, If you've got friends that are still living their high school years, even though they have kids, they're going out every weekend and partying and having a great time and waking up the next day trying to sleep it off. If you hang around those people, 
That's what you're going to become, good or bad. Bad company corrupts good character. Good company enhances good character. Make sense? All right, we're going to move on to the next walk. And this one is walk in light. Everybody say walk in light. We know what it's like to not have light, right? This morning we experienced that during the worship set. Uh, the lights went out. But in verse 8, he says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. At one time you were darkness. It doesn't say we were in darkness. If it said that, we'd have this feeling like we're these innocent people and we're surrounded by this darkness and we just can't find our way out. It doesn't say that. We were the darkness. We contributed to the darkness, not just in the darkness. And it says, now you are light. It doesn't say we're in the light. Because if it said that, it would be like somebody's supposed to be shining a light on us. And if we're not in the light, it's not our fault because they're not shining the light on us. It says we are. We are light. Jesus Christ isn't coming back to the world to die for sinners again. He did that already. He left here, went to heaven, and tasked us with being salt and light for the world around us. If we're not willing to let that light shine, how is the world going to find their way to Jesus? We are light. My wife and I went recently, well, not recently, a few years back, to a cave in Townsend, Tennessee, and somebody told me the name of it after first service because I slaughtered it. I think it's Tuscaloosa. Uh, cave in Townsend, Tennessee. We went late in the day and all of the tourists were already gone and we got a tour guide by ourselves. Just It was my wife and I and our son and we got a private tour guide to take us through this cave and we went about a half hour into the cave and we got to this one room that was like the size of a football stadium and the tour guide said, okay, everybody stand still I'm going to turn the lights out, and you're going to experience total darkness. Now, if you've never experienced total darkness, I happened to take a picture uh, when he turned the lights out. And so don't move. You're going to experience total darkness. Here it is. There's total darkness. All right. The absence of light, total darkness. And when we were in that total darkness, I knew we were just steps away from drop-offs that I didn't know how far down they went. Okay, you can bring the lights back up. It's kind of freaking me out. Um, but I didn't want to move because I couldn't see anything. I, I mean, you literally could not see your hand in front of your face. And then he said, okay, I'm going to turn the lights back on. And when he turned them on, it was maybe two or three bulbs in this whole cavernous area and it lit it up we are light and some of the places you might go to are really severely dark might be the place you work other places that you go into that it's just darkness 
But it doesn't matter how much darkness you pumped into this room, turned every light out, turned off every way that light could come into the room. If you lit one match, that match would shine. Darkness cannot overcome light. It's quite the reverse. Light overcomes darkness. In verse 8, the B part of verse 8, he says, walk as children of light. Well, how important is light? In Genesis 1, the third verse, the very first recorded words of God were, let there be light. Why? God wanted to see what he's creating. He made some wonderful things, but the first thing he created was light. When you walk into a dark room at night in your house, what's one of the first things you do? You flip on the light switch. Why? So you can see. Because if you don't, if you're like me, you found pieces of furniture with your little toe uh, in a dark room and did the dance. And then uh, after you finally got all those words out that you wanted to say, uh, you turn the light switch on. Why? so we can see. I've got a 1998 Ford F-150 that my daddy left me. And when I get in that truck at night, I have to turn on the lights. Why? So I can see. Now we on the Cumberland Plateau, we understand darkness because it comes at about what? 3.30 in the afternoon now? We know what darkness is like. And personally, I don't appreciate the time change because it makes the nighttime seem so much longer. I'm ready to go to bed after Jeopardy's over now instead of taking a nap before I go to bed. But uh, darkness, it's the opposite of light, and light is important. In verse 9, it says this, For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. The fruit of light. What is the fruit of light? I used to know a pastor who said, I can't agree with that song that says, I saw the light, because you don't actually see light. You see the results of light. But the fruit of light is the ability to see. We need the ability to see. The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And in today's world, how do we determine all that is good and right and true? You're not going to find all that is good and right and true by watching MSNBC 14 hours a day. You're not going to find all that is good and right and true by watching Fox News 14 hours a day or CNN. You're not going to find all that is good and right and true by hinging your life on every word that comes out of the mouth of Oprah. You're not going to find what is good and right and true by taking everything that comes out of the mouth of Dr. Phil as gospel. Not going to find what's good and right and true by idolizing people like Jelly Roll. If you don't know who that is, don't bother, okay? Not that he's bad, but, and I'm going to step on some toes here, and I'm not going to apologize. We will not find all that is good and right and true by idolizing Taylor Swift. Amen? 
Listen, if you've got a young person in your life and they need to know how to role model their life, if you've got a young girl, send her to the book of Esther in the Bible. Let her make an idol, not an idol, but idolize, make let a role model out of somebody that did something for God. If you've got a young man in your life and he needs to know how to be a man, show him David in the Bible. Show him Joseph in the Old Testament who was sold into slavery by his own brothers and rose to be second in command in the, the country of Egypt because of his faithfulness to a living God. Our kids need biblical role models, not worldly ones. We don't need idols of humans. We need to serve the one true living God. And there's only one source of all that is good and right and true, and that's Jesus Christ. He is the source of all that is good and right and true. The ability to see clearly in this dark world is found only in Jesus Christ. Because we go into some dark places, and we need to be able to see. In verse 10, it says this, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I love that he uses the term try because we're not perfect. We are not perfect. But he's asking us, please keep trying to figure out what's going to please the Lord. And the advantage we have over the early church, the church at Ephesus, they didn't have the written word. They didn't have the Bible. And Paul's telling them, figure out what's going to please the Lord. We have this as a guide to know what pleases the Lord. In verse 11 through 14, it says this, Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. And don't go from A to Z on me on that term, expose them, okay? We'll get into it. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. We don't roll in pointing fingers at people, calling out sin in their lives. We don't roll in like we are judge and jury. That's not our place. We don't roll in as if it's our job to judge and convict people. Not our place. We are tasked with loving people. And that verse says when we love people, that light shines on them. And when that light of Jesus from us shines on them, it exposes their sin. We don't have to do it. They see their life for what it really is, and it makes them question, am I even really living? Because of that light, the Holy Spirit convicts and converts people, not us. We live a light of love. We live a light of light in places of darkness. That's how we walk. Okay? In verse 14, the B part of this verse, Paul kind of just gears because he's talking about people that are in darkness and sexual immorality and idolatry, and he starts talking directly to the church at Ephesus, and he says this, this is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. When I first read this, it kind of confused me because I didn't really understand it. But what Paul's saying to the church is, 
wake up. You're starting to fall asleep. Wake up. And what you need to understand about the church at Ephesus, they were surrounded by all those people, 250,000 people. And in this city, there was a major goddess named Artemis. And she was the goddess of sexual purity and virginity. And every year, up to 3 million people would come into the city and they'd take their little statues of Artemis and go down to the water and wash her and purify her to make her sexually clean again. And then they would have orgies in the streets for three days. That's what this church is surrounded by. And Paul's asking the church, don't be on the defensive. Don't just be trying to survive. Be on the offensive. Start walking in love. Start walking in light. Be a light to these people around you. We have it pretty bad today. There's a lot of immorality in the, in the culture around us, but never once have they shut down Crossville to have orgies in the streets for three days. But that's what this church is, is facing, and he sees the darkness starting to creep back into the church, and he's telling them, wake up. And I understand people wake up differently. You may be one of those people when the alarm goes off, your feet hit the floor, you're up and at them, you've already stretched and you're ready to go. If you're one of those people, could you raise your hand? Yes, we have a few. They live among us. On the other side of that, you've got people that are well aware of and well used the snooze button, five, 10, 15 times, just long enough to make you late for wherever you're going. If you're one of those people, raise your hand. There's a few that are honest. I see a few of you struggling with the question, is it even worth the effort to raise my hand? So let me ask it this way. If you're sitting next to somebody that uses the snooze button all the time, raise your hand. Oh, there's some more truth. There we go. All right. So people wake up differently, but Paul's telling the church, listen, I see this happening. Darkness is creeping in. Wake up. Don't hit the snooze button. It's not going to help you at all. Wake up. What Paul's basically saying in this verse is, you're not noticing what's happening this culture around you, this sexual immorality and idolatry is all around you, and it's starting to try to snuff out your light. Wake up. Darkness is sneaky. It'll try to infiltrate your life in many ways, and it'll try to bring darkness into where the light should be. Lust is one of those things. We can lust after something we don't have, and it's darkness and it's starting to affect the light in our life. And Paul's saying, wake up. In today's society, we're told whatever feels right, just do it. It's, it's all good. Flirting with somebody, whether physically or digitally, it's dangerous. They don't call it flirting for nothing. It's darkness. And it's starting to creep in. And Paul's saying, wake up. There might be somebody in this room right now that's just inches away from having an affair 
and your thoughts are it's not going to affect anybody. It's not going to hurt anybody. It's darkness, and it's trying to creep in and affect your light. And Paul is telling us, wake up. You might be in this room, and you're living with your girlfriend, or you're a guy in this room, or a girl in this room, and you're living with your boyfriend, and it's not honoring the Lord, and it's darkness. Paul's saying, wake up. It's not too late to wake up. And as a side note to that, if you're a girl in this room and you're living with your boyfriend or you're a boy in this room and you're living with your girlfriend, I don't care what's your age, do the right thing. I want to do your wedding for free so that you can start honoring God with that relationship and finding out what does God have for me. Because the favor of God follows faithfulness, and when we're faithful to him, he will pour out his blessings in our life. So if that's you, come and see me today after the service. I've got one couple from the first service that's getting married on Wednesday. So if that's you, honor God. Don't flirt with the darkness. Honor him. It could be stuff you're watching online is starting to let the darkness creep in. It could be porn. It could be Netflix. Some of the things that they're showing on Netflix are straight-out porn. Call it what you want. Call it what it is. It's porn. And God's saying, it's darkness, and it's starting to affect your light. Wake up. Let me rekindle that light in you. We cannot sacrifice our light for the sake of entertainment. It's not worth it. We cannot let darkness infiltrate our lives and expect to be the light that the world needs in order to find their way to Jesus Christ. In verse 5, he talks about covetousness, which is really idolatry. And what idolatry is, in a nutshell, is this sentence. I can only be satisfied if I have fill in the blank. I can only be satisfied if I can have a better salary. Then I'll be satisfied. I can only be satisfied if I can get that new car that I want. Then I'll be satisfied. I can only be satisfied if I can move to a better neighborhood. I can only be satisfied if I can up my lifestyle to impress other people. I can only be satisfied if I could find the perfect spouse or the perfect job. what it boils down to in our lives when God isn't absolutely enough, it's idolatry and it's darkness and it's trying to creep in. Verse 15, we're moving into the third walk. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Can we agree that the days are evil? We need to make the best use of our time. And the third walk is walk in wisdom. Everybody say walk in wisdom. That was pretty poor. But I'll take it. It's New Year's Eve. All right. So our days are numbered. We have to make the most of our days walking in wisdom. In Psalm 39.4, David writes this, Lord Remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. And what he's saying is remind me to live as if my days are numbered because they are. 
They are. Most of you have probably answered the question. Somebody would say, okay, here's the scenario. You've got 24 hours to live. What are you going to do with those hours? We don't know how many days we have left here. Our day could be today. Our day could be 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40, 50, 60 years down the road, but we still need to make the most of the time we have right now. Don't say things to yourself like, you know what, when I get to be 65, retirement age, I'm going to start serving the Lord. You're not promised 65. We're not promised tomorrow. We have to make the most of the time we have. You don't just have a job to make a dollar. You have a job to make a difference. Our workplaces might be tough, but God put us there to make a difference in somebody's life. If you're still working, you can probably think of somebody you work with that needs to know the Lord. What if your purpose for being there was to shine love and light on that purpose, that person? You don't have resources to hoard them, to amass all these things on earth that you're not going to take with you anyway. We have resources to bless other people. Because when we bless other people, God blesses us. We don't have gifts and talents to feed our ego. Oh, look at me. No, that's not what it's about. We have gifts and talents to help other people. See, God has a specific will for your life. Specific. And he's telling us, find out what that is. In verse 18 through 20, it says this. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Can I get a good amen? Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Have you ever noticed when you go by a liquor store, sometimes it'll say wine and spirits? Do you ever wonder why they call them spirits? I did. I Googled it. See, in the olden times, when alchemists would, would make alcohol or wine, they felt like when they took the water or distilled that liquid, what was left was the essence or the spirit of the liquid. Isn't it odd that when you get pulled over for having a few too many, your charge is DUI, Driving under, what is it? The influence. So Paul's telling us, listen, you're going to be influenced with something, either the spirit of the world or the Holy Spirit. And he's telling us, be filled with the Holy Spirit, not that other spirit, because we all know that person when they've had too many and probably even heard it said, they're just not themselves. I don't know that person because they're being influenced by a different spirit. Skip Heisick, I was watching a sermon that he did, and he used an example that I wanted to share with you this morning. 
And he used the example of a glove. Glove. This is one of my work gloves, and it's had quite a bit of use. But he said that a glove is useless when it's just laying there until it's filled with a hand. He compared us to the glove. We can just sit there, or we can ask the Holy Spirit, which is the hand, to fill us up. When the hand is in the glove, it's useful. When I first got these gloves, they were stiff leather, and through many uses, it's very pliable now, and it can move any way that I want it to move. When we're first learning how to be filled with the Spirit and letting him use us, we might be stiff. The first time he wants us to speak a word of hope to that cashier at Walmart, and we don't. We can be stiff, but when we do start listening to the Holy Spirit and letting him fill us and use us, we become pliable and useful and more and more being able to be used by him, whatever he tells us to do. So he's telling us, be filled with the Spirit. So when it all boils down, it's this. He's asking us, walk in love. Walk in light and walk in wisdom. We have to start walking. Wouldn't it be great to go into 2024 saying, you know what? I'm going to walk in love, light, and wisdom and see what God does in my life. But if you haven't heard anything else or caught anything else from this morning, I want you to get this. We are never neutral in our relationship with God. I'll say it again. We are never neutral in our relationship with God. We are either increasing our intimacy with him or we're decreasing our intimacy with him. We have to be intentional about wanting to increase our intimacy with God. There's no just standing still. Well, God saved me. I've got my fire insurance. I'm just going to stand here. We need to be intentional about getting into his word. Starting this new year, God, it's going to take some effort on my part, but I want to get closer to you. I want to learn what it means to walk in love because there's people at my work that I would rather throat punch them than love them. God, show me how to love the people that are hard to love. Show me how to be that light that you need me to be in those dark places because that's the only way people are going to see their way to you. Lord, give me the ability to use my days the best way that I can, walking in wisdom. Lord, let me be the glove that you're asked to fill every day. Lead and guide me by your Holy Spirit. I want to be under your influence, God, not the influence of this world. And we can start this new year. And when we look back a year from now, we'll say, yeah, I'm closer to God now than I was the last day of 2023. It's us, folks. We're the light. 
or the love. God gives us wisdom. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you love us as broken and flawed as we are. You continue to love us. Lord, let us be the people that you can use to reach Crossville and Cumberland County in the state of Tennessee. Lord, it's not about us. It's all about you. Lord, let us be a reflection of who you are to people around us that need to see light, that need to experience love. Lord, I pray that you keep us safe through this holiday. Lord, give us wisdom to know how to shine your light to people. I pray that as we start taking these steps, this action plan, that you would grow us up in you and we'd be the light and salt to this community that we need to be. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.